Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. This is the day after. The day after we usually record the day after we figured we might as well go ahead and get this one done. So it's actually the day of whatever you want to call it, bloodletting, uh, offering to the gods. Carolina goes to Charlotte and gets their rear ends handed to them by a depleted South Carolina team. Uh, got a lot to say, thought a lot about it in the last several hours since the game's over, but Buck, I'll let you lead us off. What'd you think? Well, uh, the main takeaway for me is uh north carolina sucked uh, I mean, <laughs> next <laughs> that that that's and just so it is that a wrap or I that's mean, a we, wrap I, I think uh, we could probably and, just and, cut and, the episode quite, right there and quite literally uh my article for tomorrow i've already got written and in the article i talk about how my normal process for when i write the article for the morning after a piece that I do, uh, following every game, I'll look at stats. I'll check a tough couple of different, uh, sources of stats because they all do them a little differently. Uh, but I'll look at the ESPN stuff and I'll look at CBF uh, or CFB stats and a few others and, uh, check some other analytics and read what other people have to say and get other people's takes. Sometimes I'll look at the message board to see if somebody has a very interesting take on the game. And I read Greg's stuff and uh, the game scoop and all of that, uh, the post-game analysis. And I wrote my entire article uh, for tomorrow without looking at any of that. I, I looked at not one piece of it because uh, if you watch the game, you know – North Carolina sucked <laughs> uh, and nothing I can say is going to make any difference to that, um, conclusion. You're going to get to the same, arrive at the same place I'm at, no matter how long you spend analyzing this game, North Carolina was just terrible from the moment they stepped on the field to the moment they stepped off of it. Um, so what is there left to say about the game except how unprepared um, North Carolina, North Carolina looked and, you know, I mean, it's things like, I think it was like two minutes to go in the first quarter before anybody on the defensive side of the ball did anything that looked like, uh, they were making a play, um, on, on one particular play, I think maybe, uh, Vahasek and Ritzy got in the backfield a little bit and, uh, stopped up South Carolina and ultimately on that drive, they had a kick field goal, but before that, nobody even made a play and, and you can usually count on, you know, somebody's going to make a defensive play, you know, a good stop, good hit, uh, pass breakup, something of that nature. None of that, the first quarter at all. And it was 18, nothing in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, um, 
there, there's very little left to say about this game other than, um, it was an embarrassment. And, uh, as, uh, somebody that covers North Carolina and has for a very long time, I'm embarrassed to talk about it. Essentially. I, I can't imagine how the team feels about it or how they should feel about it or how the coaching staff should feel about it. Um, so yeah, kind of a harsh take maybe, um, for the ultimate optimist buck, but there it is. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I, and Jason, I, I, you'll have better expert analysis than I'll give. Um, and buck nailed it with one word and probably could cut the show off. I'd go to bed. Uh, but we don't do that here. Um, we talk a lot and hopefully we'll <laughs> say a little bit different than some folks are thinking, but we got it wrong terribly badly from, from, from August until December 30th. I thought after the NC state game where they played well, except for the last two minutes that this team had figured something out. We talked about it. I thought they were going to run South Carolina out of building. Said it 42 something. Can't remember the exact score. Of course, people will say you picked them 12 and oh, that was a little bit of jest. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times, but come on. But I legitimately expected Carolina to beat South Carolina handedly today. I don't know which is worse, the prediction or me even remotely thinking Carolina football can even do anything like that. Jason, uh, we talked pregame on the Live Inside Carolina show and said they had to stop the run and they had to run the ball. Let me read you a quote. This sums up the season pretty much. Our game plan was 100% stop the run today, and they rushed for 301 yards. So it is what it is. Mac Brown. Jason, what you got? Well, that pretty much sums it up right there. I mean, as you said, uh, and not just for 301 yards, which is bad, but for 5.9 yards a carry, including sack yardage. It almost seems inconceivable, but for Carolina football, we talk a lot about. I mean, I don't think you know what that word would, means. Man, I've been waiting. I was just going there. <laughs> you, you using that word? I do not think you I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I was trying to riff on another quote from something else, but people talk about NC State ish or Clemsoning and all those type things. This is this is this is tar healing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, at this point, at a, this point, uh, this is what North Carolina is, and they have been for a long time. Well, uh, it, it's actually much worse this year. Um, David, was it David Hill? Brian Ives had a tweet up. Um, I don't know how far back he went. He went back a long way, but um, a team, no team has uh, had a season where they lost had a worse record in games where they're at least 10 point favorites. Both of them tweeted that. That's why I couldn't remember. I remember both of them tweeted it within like five minutes of each other. Yeah. Houston uh, and Carolina. They were two and three in games in which they were a 10 point favorite. And they all uh, played out the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
actually, uh, uh, you know, there, uh, there's a couple of different models there. I mean, it's not all look alike, but <laughs> so uh, you have more than game, one. You have more than one VCR tape, is what you're saying? Of yeah. In this one, uh, you know, South Carolina just came out, hit North Carolina in the mouth, and didn't stop hitting them in the mouth until they walked off the field. This was the and, Florida and, State game, Redux. Right. And 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 they just had North Carolina never responded. I mean, you know, they scored some points. Yeah, they you know, got South Carolina off the field before they had a, got a touchdown a couple of times. But, I mean, basically, as far as a, a statement response to what South Carolina was doing, they didn't have one. Uh, so, yeah. South Carolina had 10 total drives. Uh, half, the first half horn got them on one of them. They punted on two others. And they started on their own 24. Three and outs. Zip. Didn't need turnovers to do it either. Just drove down the field, smacked Carolina in the mouth. The question is, <laughs> we, we, can, uh, we can rehash the game. We yeah. don't need to. The question is, what are they going to do about it, Jason? <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do, but I can tell you what they need to do in terms let's, of some of this. Let's I mean, go there. So I am going to rehash one thing just to get, get at what you know the, the, the real obvious issue is here. When they punted the ball, and they had to punt that ball. I mean, it was, what, uh, fourth and 14 or whatever, right? They had to punt that ball. That's their best shot. And – it was obvious that like, look, they may not get the ball back because they haven't been able to stop South Carolina and you know, who knows? Well, that turned out to be the case. And the, that, that drive, that last drive that they had where they went down and kicked the field goal, that drive typified everything wrong right now on that side of the ball or just about everything wrong. And it starts about 80% of it is explained by the fact that North Carolina knew when South Carolina lined up on that, uh, on that drive, that South Carolina, even though they had thrown the football. So, you know, the, uh, I like you, you all have heard me say multiple times that a defensive coordinator's job, you know, first thing you want to do is make a team beat you left-handed, right? Well, okay. So they didn't stop the run. Well, at least maybe they stopped the pat. No, they were 12 of 15 for 242 yards passing, right? Joyner hadn't thrown a ball in two years. It was nine of nine. For 160 yards, not just nine of nine throwing like little quick outs, right? <laughs> so that's just getting beat up with both hands. Like that's, you know, both hands just going wild on you. But anyway, they were in a situation then when they knew South Carolina was not going to use one of their hands. One of their hands is now behind their back because they knew that the one thing South Carolina is not going to do in this situation is, th is throw the ball. They knew, and they schemed for it, and they lined up to do everything they could to take away the run. And South Carolina just ran the football down their throat time after time after time after time. All we have to look at is, there is you go, Harris, Kevin, rush up the middle for 23 yards. That first play, all they're doing is playing run. Second play, rush up the middle for no gain. Yay, rush up the middle for three yards. Yay, all right. Now they got him in third and set. Rush to the right for a gain of 11. Rush up the middle for a loss of one. Rush left for 11 yards, then a personal foul. Then loss of four, loss of one, gain of four, field goal. 
they couldn't stop the run when everyone in the stadium, everyone watching on television knew that the run was coming. And it's because they got their behinds absolutely handed to them. They got manhandled up front over and over and over and over in this game. They got their butts kicked in the trenches by a team that came in tougher and nastier than North Carolina. The problem is real simple. The problem is real simple. North Carolina is a soft football team. They're soft. They are a soft defense. They, they play soft on the offensive line, which, by the way, I think those two things go together. When you, when you have a defensive line that's going to get after you and is going to kick your tail and is not soft, then the offensive line is either going to get their butts kicked in practice or they're going to man up and stop being soft themselves and vice versa. If the offensive line is going to keep putting guys on their backs in practice, eventually those guys are going to stop playing soft. But right now, what North Carolina is, is a soft football team. North Carolina, and, and this is something that Matt Brown, that he's going to have to do some long looks in the mirror and looking at his staff right now saying, what is it about us? Because the team is going to take on the character of its coaching staff in that respect. What is it about us that's producing a soft program? And that needs to be the single focus in the offseason. And if it needs to happen that, that certain personnel need to, be, need to be changed in order for that to change, then you make those changes if you're Mac Brown. You have to do that assessment. If it's not a matter of personnel needing to change, but other things coming from the top down that need to change, the thing that needs to change is they need to get an identity of a team that's going to come in and take your soul. A team that's going to come in and they're going to hit you and they're going to hit you some more and they're not going to submit to a team that, like I said, this was not the first time this happened this year where they just came in and got bullied. South Carolina did the exact same thing that Florida State did earlier in the year where Florida State bullied North Carolina up front on both sides of the ball, ran the, ran the ball with the quarterback, got a few big plays in the passing game. They're mirror image games of each other. And you can't let that happen, especially against those two teams. Neither of those teams was any good this year. But both teams absolutely kicked North Carolina's tail in, in the, uh, uh, up front. And that, that's where everything begins and ends, as far as I'm concerned. All the missed assignments or whatever else, you can talk about that. And there's some of that stuff I might break down in the, you know, in the next week or whatever. Some of that stuff may be interesting. But at, at the bottom, if you can't get off blocks and you've got guys that are up front that are getting manhandled, there's no scheme you can do to scheme around that. There's nothing you can do to, to make up for that. You're going to get beat because you're soft. And that's what Carolina is right now. That's the problem. Find ways to fix that. That has to start in the off-season conditioning program and the strength and conditioning uh, uh, off-season stuff. Uh, that has to start in spring practice. You have to be physical and require that these guys play at a, with a level of physicality that you know might not be the norm right now in terms of practice across the country. But you know, at a certain point, saying, well, you know, we don't want to get guys hurt or, you know, guys might transfer in the portal if we're too hard on them or whatever. You got to say, screw that. We got to be a, we got to be a tough football team. And right now they're not simple. 100% agree. And I know this is not really, um, maybe not relevant, but the fourth quarter hype video kind of caught me and made me watch it. Okay. This is random. 
Carolina's fourth quarter highlight video. We all know what it is. Shows highlights, big hits, good stops. What was South Carolina's? The boys working their asses off in the weight room, doing drills, talking about family, talking about team and all that kind of stuff. No highlights, just straight work. It's kind of how it that's, played out on the field. That's what it looked like on the field, didn't it? One team came blue collar and it wasn't the team wearing blue. One team came in blue collar and ready to get down in the trenches and get dirty. And the other team, the team wearing blue, <laughs> they looked like some white collar folks who, you know, didn't really want to get down in the trenches and get dirty. 100%. Buck, so, I mean, this is nothing new, right? Carolina's been good. They, they've had some good seasons. Mac 1.0 was good. Why does it feel so differently here three years in? I mean, I feel like three years in, We've seen all the tape we need to see for things to significantly change in some form, be it coaches, coach, whatever. Um, but, Buck, your overall take on where this program is right now, because quite frankly, uh, when you have the greatest quarterback in your school's history and he has a career record of 20 and 17, there's no excuses, none. You can't make any. You, can't, you can make them, but it don't matter. What do you say, Buck? You know, what's interesting to me is as much um, flack as Larry Fedora got about, and in some ways he got it caught flack about his recruiting, wasn't good enough, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's some exceptions, but like Sam Howe, for instance. But if you look across the board, how many of North Carolina's standout contributors in the last two, three years are all Larry Fedora recruits. Diami Brown, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Daz Newsom, Jeremiah Gimmel, uh, Storm Duck. Uh, even on uh, as much as they have upgraded their recruiting, the standouts on the defensive line are like Ray Vahasek. Um, that's changing a little bit, but for the most part, the wave of recruiting that Brown, um, Brown has produced since the arriving at North Carolina last, uh, since 2019 has been, uh, fedora driven recruits for the most part. That's going to change. That's going to change. And you're in a transition. I'm not trying to make excuses. That's the last thing I, I would, I'm not going to do. Uh, there, this, this pig will not go, uh, with any lipstick from my hand. So what's got to happen is for these younger guys to take control of the team. They have to be the ones to step up and say, we're better than this. We have to play better. We got to figure this out and we got to get it done. They're the ones that's got to seize control of North Carolina, uh, for them to take a step forward. Now, can that happen with the current coaching staff? Maybe, uh, uh might it help to have, uh, some changes in the, the coaching lineup to maybe get more out of out of that group. I don't, I'm not saying that I've got a crystal ball or, uh, 
um, all the answers or any of the answers. I'm answerless. But the, I think for North Carolina to take, to take a step in, whatever facilitates the younger group of players that have been recruited in the last three years to take over the identity of this team, whatever facilitates that is what has to happen. You just have to figure out what that is. Yeah, the lack of leadership on this team, Buck, was so obvious all season in terms of there was a there was a rather strong disconnect. I mean, they, this was a front-runner football team Miami. over and over again. It was 2021 Miami. Yep. I, I think it was David Hale that said that this game just demonstrated that, that, that North Carolina was this year's Miami. Mm-hmm. And that that's accurate, but that's a team without leadership. That's a team where you don't have two or three guys that basically force everybody else to look themselves in the mirror and say, look, is this who we're going to be? Are we going to be the team that gets our, that gets our butts handed to us, that gets our, our butts kicked over and over again and just says, thank you, sir. May I have another, like, are we that? Is that okay with you? And it and requires that guys play with the level of effort and all of that that they need to. And you know, this goes to, you know, it's been it's been a while, uh it's been a while since we've done one of these. And one of the discussions that I saw on the on the um on the tarpit message board since then, somebody had asked uh, asked me what I thought needed to happen for for Des Evans. Like what what's the disconnect there? And I said, as far as I'm, and, and you know, I, I think this is, this is true for the whole team, but as far as I'm concerned, the issue with Des Evans is all the tools are there. Looks like Tarzan, but plays like Jane kind of situation. All the tools are there, but you never get the impression that that guy is playing with his hair on fire. Right. And it, you know, it's what could he do to get better? Well, there's some technical stuff. Sure. But the biggest issue there, and this is true, not just with him, but with multiple guys is you've got to stop looking like you're going through the motions. And again, you know, I, I hate to use this program once again, as an example here, but look at the guy who transferred from Georgia to Florida state this year. And then one conference defensive player of the year, Jermaine Johnson, watch him play. And if I were coaching defensive ends at North Carolina or outside linebackers, as they call them, they're defensive ends, whatever. Um, if I was coaching edge guys, I would require that Evans watch tape of that guy all off season because that guy's not as talented as Evans. He's not, but there, he had double digit sacks this year. I don't remember exactly how many, and just a, a, a crazy number of tackles for loss. And so many of those were just flat out stubborn, raw effort where he got blocked initially. And you could see this switch go off in his head of like, oh, heck no. No, I will not be blocked. And it was the second or third effort to just refuse to let a guy, no, you cannot get your hands on me. Get your hands off me. That absolute disdain for having a guy have his hands on you, that level of effort. And, you know, he had a play at one point in the year where uh, he's on one side of the field, rushes the passer hits the quarterback and then the pass is to the other sideline. He gets up guy makes a cut comes back and who makes the, makes the play 
to stop that guy a yard short of the, of the first down. This is against Boston College. The defensive end from the other side of the field who hit the quarterback to begin with. Why? Because he wouldn't settle for, I did my job. Well, you know, if somebody else isn't going to make that tackle, that's a first down. No, he ran about 40 more yards to get across the field and put that guy away and, and with a thump, by the way. That's what's missing from North Carolina and on both sides of the ball. It's, it's a, a refusal to be mediocre. It's a refusal to allow yourself to get blocked. It's just, you know, it's that level of, of, uh, of constant effort of never taking a playoff that you just don't see from this group. And it's been really frustrating to watch. And one of the reasons that it's frustrating is you can see that there's just not the leadership that there's something wrong where if there is a guy in that locker room that's saying, guys, we got to be better than this and try to hold guys accountable. Other people must not respect that guy enough to listen. Something's going on there. And what has to happen this off season is, the, and this is where the strength and conditioning staff is really, really, really important for establishing team culture. They're going to have to identify who those guys are going to be and make sure that they're empowered through these off-season workouts and through the off-season and into the spring and through the summer to empower those guys to, to change that aspect of the culture. And one guy that I would highlight on that, A.J. Blue, yep. right? He's part of that staff. He's part of the defensive – of, uh, of the strength and conditioning staff. He's been on a team where they went from crap to all of a sudden being good because they turned stuff around. He's got to he's got to find a way to identify who who in this group is going to be that dude. Who in this group needs to be empowered and turned loose to you know what? Maybe we turn our backs and let that guy kick a couple guys' butts to you know establish what the pecking order is going to be here. Because at a certain point, and you know I, I was told this a few years ago by someone uh, from another team, uh, an insider, when I was asking what was wrong about their defense. And one of the things I was told is we got too many nice guys. Mm-hmm. You've got to have, you know, you want your team to be a bunch of guys that, you know, you can take home and, and introduce to the parents. Yeah, that's nice. But if you really want to be great on defense, you have to have one or two, at least guys that there, there's, they're just a little, maybe just a little on edge or maybe a little over the edge to force everybody else to play like that. And I don't see that guy. They've got to find him. Are you talking about guys that play with motors that never stop. Um, and, and I know he's one of the best in the country, but Hutchinson from Michigan. Yeah. Dude never stops Violent. playing hard. Never stop. So, Buck, um, you know, clearly the, it, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think the talent's coming. It won't be next year. I mean, there are certain things that are talent issues. Certain, certain guys couldn't get off the blocks today because they were just not good players. But right. those guys are graduating out. Yeah. So, Buck, it's not going to be a talent problem next year. So, Buck, as a um, somebody who has always had the the thumb on the fan base thread, what has to happen this offseason for the fan base to come back? Because being in Bank of America Stadium today and walking out when we did and listening to a lot of people, a lot of folks are done, done watching the same stuff over and over in year three. A lot of people want heads. 
where's the sacrificial lamb? We don't need to call people by name, but it's pretty obvious that when you have statistically um, one of the worst units in school history, something has to change. When you have um, guys that have been together um, so long, they could like an old married couple and they haven't gotten any better in three years, something's got to change, Buck. So, so how does the fan base come back to this team, come back to Mac Brown? You know, that's an interesting question, Tommy. And you see it playing out in um, different ways, which are the, as far as having lost a certain segment of the fan base. And, you know, of course, because we have like the largest message board in the uh, United States devoted to uh, a team. Our message board comes in for a lot of criticism because people go nuts and they're, you know, they go over the top and uh, say all kinds of crazy stuff, uh, particularly on the game threads and whatnot. Um, but, and, and you can't really listen to that kind of stuff too much. But, I'm talking about a, a group text that you and I are both on during the game with guys that are dedicated, loyal, go to games, go to road games. They're always there. They're diehard, um, ride or die UNC fans. And they pump a lot of money into the program and they pump a lot of money into the program and a lot of those guys are done. Like you say, I mean, they're like, you know, why, why, why are we doing this? If we're going to have six and seven seasons, you know, why, why don't we just bring back John Bunny and, you know, let him roll out whatever he's going to roll out on, on the field. Why do we bring back a Mac Brown? Why do we build an indoor football facility? You know, why do we uh, change the seating around in Keenan Stadium to make it look nice and all the things that they've done, uh, renovations, whatnot, money they poured into program to go six and seven? You know, somebody has lost the plot there. You know, because the, the bottom line is as much as uh, you can like it, not like it, feel about it however you want to, but the bottom line for people doing that is they want to see wins. They want to see people holding up trophies, you know, at the end of the year, they want to go to Charlotte and play in the ACC title game. And the, the talent is there. And, and if you look at it, what we were talking about before that North Carolina is, was two and three, it was two and three in games where they were 10 point favorites. Think about that for a second. Against five teams on their schedule, they were favored by more than 10 points. And they, they went six and seven. How crazy is that? You know, I mean, that should be five automatic wins, right? You're favored by double digits. You should win that game. Um, how you get there, Tommy, I, I'm not the one that's in the building um, I'm not the one that knows the dynamics, uh, on offense or defense. Who's really running the show. I feel like probably, um, you know, Phil Longo's running the show on offense. Jay Bateman's probably running the show on, uh, defense. 
but there's so many other voices in that building who who's Mac Brown listening to. Is he listening to Sparky Woods, Daryl Moody, uh, you know, Tommy Thigpen, Rick Steinbacher, Corey holiday. Who is he listening to? And unless I know that, I don't know how to put my finger on the problem, but there's a problem there. It's just a matter of recognizing and dealing with it. Um, so, uh, all, and the guy and the names that I mentioned, they all may be doing swell, wonderful, awesome work. I don't know. I'm not in the building, but you've got to find out where that problem is and eradicate it to, to move the ball forward. I mean, you, you cannot stay status quo. If they stay status quo, um, the reductions in seats in Keenan Stadium um, a couple of years ago are not going to be enough um, because, yeah, just from the mood that is now. Now, hope springs eternal, and folks will come around a little bit in the summer, um, but I think a significant change needs to happen. And Matt Brown's certainly not beyond it. I mean, he told Torbush, and after they lost the Sun Bowl in, what, 95, said, you better tighten it up. Or get it going or get along out of here. And we see how that change happens. Mac has never, you know, that said this before in another podcast, he's never been bashful about making coaching changes. Yeah. Not at uh, all. He, and, you know, a lot of people took that as me saying, he's going to change, you know, going to make drastic changes in the off season. That's not what I meant. What I meant was, is, I mean, he fired Manny Diaz, like, you know, at the field. soda machine the at, you know, at halftime, <laughs> you know, um, you know, he, he, he has never had a problem of recognizing the fact that somebody's not getting the job done and letting them go. So, um, I, you know, I believe he's, there's nothing about the dynamic there that, uh, leads me to believe that Mac is going to protect anybody because they're a buddy or colleague or somebody he coached or any of that. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I mean, uh, what Mac does is going to depend on what Mac sees and what he hears and what he figures out, but he, he knows enough to know that six, seven with this team against this schedule and the way they lost games. It's not going to cut it. You know, what's the, what's the point of doing what we're doing? If that's what we can look forward to. Yeah. That, what you said is how they lost games is what's troubling the most is that it's the same script. They're the same issues and every game, every loss, especially, but really in a lot of the wins as well, Jason is, is that they're all, they're all the same issues some coaching, some player, but it's all the same stuff, game after game after game. It falls on the head guy. Ultimately, you get what you allow, right? My favorite comment. And judging from this season and judging in the next couple months, I think we'll see what Mac Brown allows or it's ultimately on Mac Brown himself. What do you think, well, it's already Toronto? on Mac Brown himself, and he would say that. And, you know, that's where my observation about Mac's going to have to look in the mirror and determine, you know, what's, what's bring, what has 
engendered the kind of softness that we saw from that, that program this year, because at the end of the day, programs take on the character and the, uh, the traits of their, of their head coach. If you have, I mean, look at Pitt, right? Pitt on the football field. I mean, they're not always great. They're not always that good, but they are a walking embodiment to Pat Narduzzi, <laughs> right? I mean, that team is just like, if you, if you chopped Pat Narduzzi into bits, it's him, right? Uh, you know, you can go down the list. I mean, Florida in the, in the nineties, that team was like their whole character was Steve Spurrier. Right. And, you know, Nick Saban at Alabama, Dabo at, 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 at Clemson, all of these teams take on the character of their head coach. So if your team after, you know, three years is soft, I think that means you you've got to look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do? to communicate that, that, that this, this kind of effort, this kind of, of lack of intensity and this kind of uh, playing football without violence is what can I, what do, what can I do to, to show that that's unacceptable, that that will not be tolerated because that's really what's lacking is the, is you can't be a successful football team without intensity and play and, and violence the best players are violent players. Even, even your speed players, even your, your quote-unquote finesse guys, the elite guys who are like that, even, the, even those guys, their movements are violent. Right? It's not a matter of, of there being... You, you just can't accept other, otherwise and be good on the football field. So, you know, I, I think that probably... I mean, if it's me... If I were Mac Brown, one of the things that I would do is I would have the most physical spring practice that I have had since the first time I was at North Carolina. More physical than any pra spring practice that I had during at Texas. More physical than anything I've had my first three years at North Carolina. I would set the tone in the spring of 2022 that we're going to do goal line for extra extra periods. We're going to do good on good, twos on twos, and so on. And we're going to tackle to the ground every day allowed by the NCAA. And we are going to, we're going to thump and we are going to hit. And we're going to do this at the very lim time limit that's required just to communicate to this team that it's not about the X's and O's. It's not about out scheming teams. It, you've got to, at some point to be good at, at football, you've got to be the team that just kicks the other team's butt. You got to. And the only way to do that at a certain point is to require it in practice. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why so many teams these days struggle defensively and why the game is so different in a lot of ways. It's not just the way that it's officiated. It's the way the teams practice. Most teams don't practice to the ground pretty much at all anymore. Right. Most teams don't play. I mean, and I hate to get this into like a back in my day, but I mean, back in my day, after one, after my first spring, our coaches actually had t-shirts made about having survived spring practice because so many of us got hurt. I was actually running first string at the end of one week at Florida state. And if you know how bad a player I was, 
that tells you how many guys got hurt in front of me <laughs> because we hit so hard all spring. And by the way, my, my knee was uh, the size of uh, a little larger than a normal grapefruit when I was running first team. So, so if that tells you anything, we were, we, we were committed to that identity of we're going to out hit you. And in spring, we were willing to go through and, and, and take some of that beating in order to communicate that and in order to become that. And so many teams now, the concern is, well, we don't want to get our guys hurt. And yeah, there's some truth to that. But you also don't want your guys to get soft. And I, I think there's just, uh, this is epidemic across, uh, across college football, but North Carolina right now, there's too much talent now. This year, there were definite talent holes, especially up front. No question. Next year, there's too much talent to allow them to be soft. That's Indeed. really, I mean, that's all I've got to say on this. I mean, we can talk, uh, you know, I love, I love scheme. I love breaking down the chess game and all that, but I mean, football is simple at, at bottom. <laughs> and, you know, if you can bully the other team and not, none of the rest of it matters. Yep. I don't disagree there. Uh, we will be right here following it all. We're going to wrap this one up. Could have wrapped it after Buck's first opening statement. Um, it could have been, you know, the, the two S show, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we talked about it. We lived it. Carolina finishes season six and seven. Hopefully later in the week, we'll do it on the beat live. Maybe a football round table with all the football guys post-mortem wrap this, this puppy up for good and tuck it in the wayside. Oh, um, man, but- I'm going to be even more bitter by then because I'll have gone, gone through the game more, more than <laughs> yeah. multiple times, looking at different plays in detail and man, I'm, Oh, I already know I'm going to be ticked off then. It should be an interesting one then. So uh, for Buck Sanders, well, Buck, look, let me say something. Buck Sanders has been the uh, catalyst for all these shows, these podcasts we do, the I see live shows and all that. So I want to especially shout you out, Buck, and appreciate all your support for us to be able to do what we do here for Inside Carolina. Even though they're six and seven, I see team covers it as if it's the national championship each and every week, and that's partly – um, or mostly because of the leadership you've provided us, my man. Thank you. Buck's the best in the game, guys. The best in the game. Best in the biz. And he's muted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one throwaway <laughs> comment before we go. Uh, get off of, uh, of what you just said then, uh, which I appreciate. But still, can we get the Big Ten refs every week? Oh, man, was that nice. Did, did I not just feel like so much <laughs> – like did a you, sea change. Did and you watch any of the, of the Music City Bowl? That was great. Did you not see the end of the Music City Bowl? It was yeah. ACC refs at their – it was it was just exactly what you would expect. Prime ACC officiating. Tennessee scores to take the lead in overtime. They caught a guy down. Um, forward <laughs> progress stopped. I mean, you pre- know, there wasn't a lot of confusion. There wasn't a lot of, <laughs> you know – you got guys blowing whistles, hands flapping, you know, uh, guys looking still at each barely, other like, he's, moving oh. forward. he's barely moving forward. Yes, barely, but he's still going forward and he still extended the ball over the goal line. The great, the great line from there is, um, Heupel asking what <laughs> the man says, we can't review forward progress and Heupel's comment to him after you, that is just prime ACC. Have- Got to be <laughs> blank kidding me. And I, I, I just want to know what we got to do to get the Big Ten refs every week. That's all. 
Well, know. my the dad was a Big Ten rep. And, uh, it, it just made it such uh, more enjoyable to watch, even though we were getting killed. Yeah. Uh, it was still better to watch. So. Yeah, my, my dad, for what it's worth, my dad was a, was a Big Ten official when I was growing up. So uh, uh, I, I actually have a little bit of a window on their process. And they've got a really, really good training process. And they've – they've they've kept that up uh and they've they've done a, a great job on that for you know 20 some years since uh since then what about 25 years since he was a big 10 official I, I just didn't want us to close out without uh taking note of that yeah well it's, it would be uh, nice there are many issues but you control what you can control and carolina football has got their own to deal with matt brown we'll see what happens over the next few weeks and months Get leading into tougher, spring practice. guys Please. All right, boys, I'm going to wrap it and get out of here and send it on to Mr. John Siegley so he can uh, package it up and get it out to the listeners. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for supporting Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Mm. Subscribe, mm. rate us, review us, tell us what we do right, tell us what we do wrong, five stars, whatever you need to do to get on those ratings. It helps us out, helps you out, get better content. But, Jason, I've been host Tommy Ashley. We are Enjoy out. Enjoy it, guys. <laughs>